right. Hey, church, good morning. It's so good to be there, to be together with you today. Uh, my name is Janet Galante, and I'm one of the ministers here. And as you've heard so far, it is College Sunday, so we are taking a moment today to make sure we celebrate and welcome all college students here. We're in the middle of a series, It's Just a Phase, and it's all about all the phases of life and how we can celebrate those and look for the opportunities that we can learn from all of them. If you're a college student today, I want to draw your attention to two things. First, tonight uh, we have college night. That's our first college night down in the CLC at 5.30 p.m. You won't want to miss out on that. But second, we actually have a gift for every single college student. You can pick this up down at the Connections kiosk. We go down the stairs in the back over there. It's actually a to-go box. And there's two reasons for this. First, at college night, we always provide dinner. So we hope that you'll bring this with you and you can take some leftovers home. We want you to leave feeling fed and full every single week. But second, we know that this phase you're in right now, it goes by so fast, and it usually ends with you moving on somewhere else. So it is our hope that you will come to us and learn something, and then when you go out into the rest of the world, you'll take that with you. It's our mission as a college ministry to make disciples who will go out into the world and make more disciples. We want to send you into the world. So this box over here represents the way that we hope you will take that with you wherever you end up going. The movement of the college-age phase is something unique, and it's special. And we want to celebrate that today. But now, I am here today to warn all you college-age people about one of life's worst phases. And that is the quarter-life crisis. Did you hear that? I'm a millennial. We invited this. I can tell you all about this. This is what you have to look forward to next. According to Wikipedia, actually, it's the time when you're in your 20s or even early 30s and you experience a period of insecurity, doubt, and disappointment surrounding your career, relationships, and financial situation. And now, as someone who is almost 30, I can tell you that's pretty true. That's what you have to look forward to next. A time when you're swimming in disappointment and disillusionment about what adulthood really is. You think you have all the freedom, you finally made it, you're an adult, but no, it's not quite that. You just wake up every day wishing you had gotten more sleep, thinking you were going to have time for a shower, but you don't, so you hop in the car and rush to work, sitting grumpily in traffic. And you get there and you down some coffee and just work nine to five. And then you come home, and it's dinner time. You're hungry. This is great. But, well, that means someone would have to make the dinner, wouldn't they? So you kind of ignore that grumbling in your stomach for a bit, and you find some other things to do. But then you realize, oh, there's clothes on the floor that might need to be washed. And the floor looks like it could use some vacuuming, too. But you just ignore all of that, and you watch some Netflix or play video games until 1 in the morning, and oops, you're going to be tired tomorrow for work, too. Every day is just another day. This time also comes with relational decisions, where you're wondering, oh, should I marry this person I've been with for the last few years? That's a big decision. Or financial stress. You get your first paycheck, you're so excited, and you look at it like, that can't be right. How am I supposed to live off of that? That's what you all have to look forward to next. The quarter-life crisis comes with the question, is this it? Is this all that my life is going to be? 
And now I know it's easy to exaggerate about it. I'm making fun of it a little bit because what is there to be stressed about when you're 23? What is there to be in crisis over? But the name of this is something real that we all experience, not just people right after college. We all go through times of crisis. Sure, there's the quarter-life crisis, and there's also the mid-life crisis. When you realize you're halfway to dead, I mean that's why it's called midlife, right? That's why we laugh at the idea of a quarter-life crisis, because midlife is when it gets real. You're halfway there. And to be clear, I haven't experienced it yet, but Ethan has. He's told me about it, and it sounds pretty awful. So it can compare a little bit worse to the quarter-life crisis. And it's in this season when you struggle as you realize life has just become going to work. Making money, raising the same kids with the same spouse in the same house. This season is hit with a time where you question the fulfillment that you found in life so far, as you realize your mortality. You look around and you think, "I'm halfway there. I should have done more by now. Who am I? How have I not done more and accomplished more and made myself into the person I always thought I would be?" Or maybe you're an empty nester. People experience a crisis there as well. You were spending all your time raising kids, and they've moved out and moved on, and you find yourself looking at your spouse, thinking, "Was that it? What are we supposed to do now?" Or retirement—you worked hard for all these years, you're finally free from the burden of work, but now what? Can you still make an impact? Is this it? Some phases kind of happen to us. There are circumstances like divorce. You're no longer with the person that you built a life with, and you have to figure out what's next. Or maybe you're not at any of these phases yet; they haven't happened to you, and you're a little younger. For middle schoolers or high schoolers, there can be the crisis of not making the team. You're in school, and you built your identity around this thing—maybe a sport, dancing, singing, whatever it may be. You are a soccer player, but you didn't make the cut. So, are you just a high schooler now? And you find yourself wondering, who am I? What am I about? And that's an identity crisis, and that happens to all of us at all sorts of ages. There's the phase where you lose someone, a parent or a friend. And you know, the older we get, we experience this phase more and more. We experience this crisis. I'll never forget the day that my uncle died. It was actually five years ago this month. And right after he passed away, we all came into the room with his body. The whole family gathered there. And I just remember looking down at him and thinking about all the pieces of his life that were left. He was only 51. He was athletic. I used to see him running around town when I was doing errands. But that didn't matter anymore, did it? He was smart and successful. He had a great job, and he earned lots of money. But that didn't really seem to matter now either. He traveled. He got to go to some cool places, and he had some more in mind that he was going to go to someday. And that didn't matter anymore, either. And as we all looked down on him, I couldn't help but wonder: Is this it? In the end, is that what happens to all the pieces of your life? There are so many different kinds of crises we experience. Maybe you've been through some of them, and we use the word crisis because these are the moments when people get lost and spin out of control, and we're just trying to cling to something, to find something to grasp to, that can fill us up. 
These are the times where we feel a void in our lives, and we notice that emptiness. And we can't help but wonder, is that all there is? There's got to be something else, something that can fill us up, and we just keep searching and searching. And you know, the theme verse for this series is Ephesians 5.16, and it's actually tailor-made for the crisis. It tells us, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, I'm not saying that a crisis is a good thing or that you want to experience it, but we can learn from this that there is a God-sized opportunity that comes from every crisis you face. So what we want to do is find that opportunity and make the most of it. Even when, it, when you're in a crisis, it's true. It's just a phase. Don't miss it. Don't miss the opportunity that can be provided from this crisis. So today, we're going to unpack a little bit what we can possibly learn from this. I mean, there's got to be something. As we've listed all these things we go through, there's got to be something that we can learn from this, something we can glean from this opportunity. What could God possibly have for us in this space? Now, to learn about this, we're going to check out someone in the Bible who is wrestling with a crisis. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we find someone who is struggling in an extreme way, and he's looking around at his life and just wondering, is this it? Is this it really? We see here, he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from their labors at which they toil under the sun? All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of its seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be done again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Whew. That'll put you in a crisis if you weren't already in one today. Everything's meaningless. Pointless. We're here on earth working on all these things, trying to get our fill, but in the end, it'll never work. Whatever we've accomplished, someone else will come along and accomplish anyway. There is nothing new under the sun. And he has a point, doesn't he? I think about back when I was in the fourth grade, and we were working on our cursive handwriting, and I was really good at it. And I wanted to put all of my time and energy into it because, you see, there was a cursive handwriting award at the end of the year for the fourth graders. So I practiced and practiced and worked the best I could so I could win that award. And when that time came, you bet I got that award. I won. But the thing was, in fifth grade, no one really seemed to care that I won the cursive handwriting award last year. And believe it or not, now when I tell my friends, hey, I won the cursive award in fourth grade, they don't really seem to care either. I don't really understand that. I thought it was a pretty big deal. And you know what? I'm not even sure if cursive is taught in school these days. Cursive has become meaningless. And in Ecclesiastes, we meet a guy who is realizing that about everything in life, every element, that it is all meaningless. And we find him here when he's setting out on a project to see what could possibly make life living. He has every advantage at his disposal. And we see this guy who, if anyone could possibly manipulate the world and find the trick to make life meaningful, it would be him. So we get to see him experiment with a lot of things. He says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. 
So then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. All right, cross that off your list. Wisdom doesn't work. Don't bother getting good grades or degrees. Just move on to, from that. He tries some other things. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. So check this out. He has access to everything in the world. I mean, he even is able to say, I'm greater than everyone else who has ever been here. And do you hear all the stuff he has? He has wealth, alcohol, houses, gardens, people to work for him, people to sleep with. He has power over everyone. What more could he possibly need? And at the end of this, he still says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. None of this was enough. Everything he tried didn't work. Everything was meaningless. Now, I want you to notice that word meaningless. It's actually used all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. In Hebrew, the word is pronounced hebel, and it means meaningless, and sometimes it's translated as vanity. You'll see that in your Bible as well. But it also describes a physical phenomenon that we know well. It means mist, smoke, vapor, things that are in the air one moment and gone the next. It's like hot air on a glass. If you look closely, you see it, but it's already disappearing, gone. It's temporary and fleeting. And that's the word he chooses to use to describe all of this, that the things of this world are mist on a glass. And we're also enticed by this mist. We try to hold on to it. When we're in crisis, we do all we can to grasp the mist. We achieve, thinking if we can do enough, become Renaissance men who are good at every single thing, sports, art, everything, that we can just have that mist. We can hold on to it. We make money collecting it, fattening our bank accounts, earning as much as we possibly can, living to work, buying cars, clothes, whatever we possibly need. And all of that is fleeting, just mist on a glass. Well, that's what the world tells us to do, doesn't it? The world says if you can keep striving, keep blowing, keep working to get all this stuff, then you'll make it through, you'll find meaning. The world presents all these solutions and has a plan. The world says when you're in crisis, it's just a phase, push through it. And if that doesn't work, we've got some easy fixes for you. Quarter-life crisis? 
Live it up while you can. Go wild on the weekends. Midlife crisis? Focus on your appearance. Do whatever you can to make your image perfect. Empty nester? Spice up your life a bit. Find something to change up to bring some excitement into your world. Retired? Travel the world. Fill your house with the stuff you couldn't afford when you were young and poor. Lost your spot on the team? Well, find something else to get really good at. Throw your identity into that instead. Lost a relationship you care about? Hmm, eat some ice cream. There's always Ben and Jerry's. The world tells us that these crises are easily fixable. Just find the fix that matches the phase you're in. You'll be okay. Just push through that and figure that out. You know, I've certainly done this. It wasn't a very big crisis, but I did look for an easy fix. When I was in college, I actually got to spend a year in China, and it was amazing. I loved China so much. It was so great to be there. And right before I left for that year, I started dating my first boyfriend ever. Oh, I was so excited. It was so great to be in a relationship. It was everything I'd ever hoped it would be, until I had been there a few months and he broke up with me. And I was crushed, devastated. My heart was shattered into a million pieces on the floor, and I just was thinking about how I was thousands of miles away from everyone I ever knew, all alone and unwanted. And you know, I know it sounds kind of melodramatic to talk about it now, your first boyfriend ever, but at the time, that was a pretty big crisis for me to experience. I felt it. So you know what I did? I ate chocolate. A lot of it. I ate chocolate all the time. I ate it so much that I actually started rotating which convenience stores I went to because I knew I stuck out in China. So I should probably go to different ones so the cashier doesn't recognize me as a weird foreign girl who keeps eating chocolate. That is how much chocolate I ate. But it didn't work. The fact is that the world's fixes actually don't take away the void that we experience in crisis. The world's fixes aren't all bad. I still think you should eat some chocolate. It's pretty good, but it's not going to fix the crisis you're going through. The world's solutions are mist on a glass, there for a second in disappearing the next. We try all sorts of things that we can do to fill this void that we have in ourselves, this void that we experience in crisis. Sure, sometimes it'll be silly, harmless stuff. Buy that sports car. Get yourself a nice outfit. Buy a vacation home. Obsess over your appearance and watch Netflix until it asks if you are still watching. None of those things are bad. They just won't fill the void that you're experiencing. And sometimes we also try self-destructive things, don't we? Pursue that younger woman. Have that affair. Look for hope at the bottom of a bottle and drink your sorrows away. And these are the things we go to because we are just desperate. We're longing to figure out what could possibly fill that void. We'll try anything. And in all of this, we are trying to fill an eternal hunger with temporary bread. Did you catch that? This is important. We are trying to fill an eternal hunger with temporary bread. In all of that, in every phase of life, whatever crisis you might be experiencing, we all too easily reach for that temporary bread because it's right there. We think it'll work. Something's got to work. And I hope you'll hear that truth today, that when we reach for that bread, it won't fill us up. And that's part of what makes a crisis a crisis. 
is we realize that truth, that we can't satisfy hunger, an eternal hunger, with temporary bread. And in fact, that's usually the source of our crisis. We realize we can't satisfy that hunger, and just for a second, we figure out that this world won't cut it. It's not enough, and it's an awful thing to realize. And what makes the crisis embarrassing is that even though we know this, we sure give it a try anyway. We see this with the teacher in Ecclesiastes. He tried wisdom, filling up on knowledge. He tried pleasure. He built houses and gardens and got whatever he wanted. He was rich and had tons of money and treasures, and he even had a harem. And wow, don't we try those exact same things today? Sex, money, whatever we can find. We want to stock up on it and try to get that crisis to go away. We want to fill up an eternal hunger with the things of this world. And the truth is, we can't. You cannot fill up that hunger with temporary bread. You want to be loved with a perfect love, and no human can do that. Not your spouse, your closest friend, or your kids. The affair you're pondering won't satisfy that desire. You want eternal significance, and working 60 hours a week won't give you that. You can't overwork yourself into significance. You want everlasting joy, and staying up late watching Netflix won't fill that bucket. You cannot satisfy an eternal hunger with temporary bread. That's why it all seems meaningless. That's why it's mist on a glass. That's what this crisis is all about. That we are trying to fill that eternal hunger in vain. We're trying to work on the wrong things. The book of James says, "Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life?" You are a mist that appears for a little while, and then vanishes. And Jesus says this too: that nothing you can try on your own will fix your crisis. Jesus promises that your human achievement will never give you the sense of purpose that you're looking for. He says in John, "Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself; it must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me." I am the vine; you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So what Jesus is saying is that that struggle you're facing, that void you're feeling, that's not your fault. In fact, that's the way you were made. Nobody can bear fruit by themselves. Nobody can make a difference by themselves. So it's not your fault for feeling this way, or wondering these things, or experiencing that crisis. That's a part of being human. Jesus gets really direct with us. He says, "You cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing." So Jesus affirms what the author of Ecclesiastes experienced: that apart from Jesus, what we can do is Nothing. It's vanity, mist on a window, gone and meaningless. And now that's the bad news. What we can do apart from Jesus is can blow on the glass just to see it disappear. Maybe we'll try really hard, see if we can make a difference. 
All right, you can see it right there. See it? Oh, oh, it's disappearing right before all of our eyes. That no matter how hard we try, how hard we huff and puff, that is what we can do apart from Jesus. That we cannot make that. But the good news is that we can produce something with Jesus. He didn't just say, apart from me, you can do nothing and leave it at that. Right before that, Jesus says, if you remain in me, you can bear a lot of fruit. Fruit that will last. Fruit that's eternal, that will be there forever. And now, I don't know about you, but that's certainly what I want for my life. And that's what I want for all the college students who are here today. And that's what I want for you, whether you're in the middle of your life or in middle school, wherever you are, that we could bear fruit that would last and be around forever. I don't want you to spend your whole life huffing and puffing just to watch it evaporate before your eyes. Apart from Christ, everything we do is temporary bread. But when we're in Christ, it makes all the difference. Don't miss this good news today. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. So what's the answer? What do we see here? How do we get through these crises? How do we fill the void? The answer is to remain in God. Connect to God. Through God, we will bear fruit. We must remain in God. Stay connected and maintain a relationship. Center your life on this relationship with God. That is the most important thing. If we stay connected and obedient, we stay fruitful. When we connect with God, we are fruitful. But when you're disconnected and disobedient, that fruit disappears. It's all mist on a glass. It won't last. We've got to stay connected and obedient. And we'll produce something of meaning. Something that endures and doesn't disappear like the mist. And don't just take my word for it. Check it out in Ephesians. For it is by the grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The fruit of this life is the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. I love this. Has anyone ever made you feel like you are insignificant or useless? Well, this verse says it's wrong, that you have a purpose, that God has prepared good works for you to do, and you've got to get out there and do them. Serve others. Serve God. Spend your life on other people and do these good works, the work that God has instructed you to. Because these are the works that will last and endure. So when you face a crisis, you have two options. You can step into the lie. You can try all the things of this world and just do your best to get through it. But if you do that, you'll be back in crisis just a few years later. Because the lie never stopped being a lie. You just stopped noticing it, and you'll feel it again. Or your second option is you can step into this truth, that there is significance and fruitfulness when you remain in Christ. God's word has a promise for this. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything else we do for ourselves might be meaningless vanity, mist on a glass. 
gone the minute that we think we've gotten anything, but the labor of the Lord is never in vain. It won't disappear. So when you're in crisis, you have an opportunity to see clearly what God has been saying to you all along. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So will you seize that opportunity today? If you're in crisis, if you're wondering these things, will you find that opportunity to recognize that you can bear eternal fruit when you labor in the Lord, when you remain connected to God? In crisis, we have to confront the fact that our lives of working hard, making money, buying vacations home, vacation homes, all that doesn't add up to much. But we can use the crisis as a wake-up call to call us to this truth, that your life of service, your life of prayer, generosity, or ministry, that makes a difference. It's eternally significant. You know, my dad is actually retiring in a few weeks, so he's thinking through some of the things that this phase will bring for him. It'll be a shift. And my favorite thing, though, about the way that he's looking at this next phase is that he's been asking himself, what can I do next that will bear fruit for God? Because he's a minister, but he knows that when he retires, his ministry doesn't end. He wants to figure out what is the next phase of serving God? What is the next way of giving up his life and bearing eternal fruit? So if you're facing one of these crisis opportunities today, I hope you'll do the same thing. You didn't make the team? Well, what can you do with that extra time now to bear eternal fruit? Maybe you're a recent graduate and you discovered that life isn't as meaningful as you thought it would be. What can you do in the name of the Lord that will never be in vain? Our labor for the Lord is never in vain. Stay connected. Stay obedient to Christ. This will produce the fruit that lasts. Jesus gives us the solution. Stay connected. Remain in me. And if you're not sure today how to do that, well, I want to encourage you that last week was Connect Sunday. And through Connect Sunday, we talked all about jumping in groups, getting connected with other people. And this is one of the best ways that you can connect with God. Come back here on September 8th. We'll have a group here studying the prison epistles. It'll be led by Ethan and Lee Magnus. It'll be amazing as we figure out how to be obedient to God's word together. Whatever your thing is, figure out a way to remain in God. Stay connected, stay obedient, and you will stay fruitful. Will you pray with me? God, we know that we are insufficient. We are finite, and what we produce won't last. And we ask you today to help us confront this truth as we realize that you can give us more, that you can make us eternally fruitful. Teach us how to remain in you and how to seek you rather than the things of this world. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.